Welcome, guys, back to the Grateful Living Podcast. Today, I'm thankful to have Raza Sheikh with me. Raza is a managing director at Launchpad Venture Group, a Boston-area angel investing group focused on early-stage investments, primarily in high-tech and life sciences. Uh, Launchpad is one of the largest and most active angel groups in the United States. Raza is also a general partner at Beacon Venture Partners, a company that also invests in early-stage companies. And finally, Raza is a co-host for the On Boards podcast with Joe Ayub. Raza, thank you so much for joining us. Arnav, it's, it's a pleasure. Glad to be here. Of course. Thankful to have you on. Uh, so, you know, for the people that don't know you as well, can you set the scene um, and kind of take us back to your beginning roots of, you know, where you grew up, your family situation, you know, what type of kid you were and things like that? For sure. Um, Arnav, uh, I grew up in uh, Pakistan, a city called Lahore. Um, I, I guess uh, early days, so uh, grew up in a house. Uh, I remember where th- we didn't have running, wa- running water for the toilet. Uh, uh, all the way then, I, I, I would say, you know, as a kid, I was a good student, uh, got good grades, uh, worked hard, that sort of thing. Um, Got my degree in computer science from a place called uh, uh, FAST. Uh, it is, uh, at that time, it was not a university, uh, later became a university, uh, but I did my undergrad in computer science there. It's uh, still uh, one of the top schools for, for getting computer science education in Pakistan. From there, I worked uh, actually in the uh, software industry as a programmer, a developer, a product manager uh, back in Lahore uh, for almost half of my career. Um, And I was working for a company called Techlogix at that time, which uh, was founded by uh, three MIT graduates. we were working for product and services companies. I would be helping build um, mobile uh, transaction platforms or other uh, high-tech products for U.S. companies, including uh, video conferencing software, uh, sitting in Lahore. And Technologics around that time thought, hey, it might be helpful for Raza to be in the U.S. Uh, and they uh, supported my H-1B visa, which is a a typical path for coming to the U.S. as an immigrant uh, for high-tech work. I jokingly called myself uh, a high-tech laborer, (laughs) uh, and I was brought here uh, uh, doing consulting uh, with Techlogix, uh, which was a great, great amount of fun. I learned a lot, obviously, uh, new to this country. I actually landed in Boston and ever since have been professionally and uh, living right in the area. Um, Techlogix was uh, doing tremendous good work, uh, but I really got a little bored and jumped into my first startup uh, as an early employee. And that startup was uh, initially building uh, software uh, and later, hardware and robotics for uh, life science drug discovery uh, application, uh, a very specialized area called protein crystallography. And we were doing the automation problem with uh, uh, liquid handlers, um, imaging robots, and incubation robots, along with the software that uh, goes with it. Um, 
that was also just an incredible um, uh, experience in learning. Um, I uh, would drive the truck into Cambridge to install the robot uh, with all of these uh, uh, big pharma companies and research labs. So I know which uh, roads in Cambridge, you can't take the truck. <laughs> uh, so it, it was just a typical startup experience where you do a lot of things, uh, you yeah. learn a lot. And um, that company actually did uh, very, very well. I ended up at the Broad Institute, um, which is a collaboration between MIT and Harvard. It is actually a spin-off out of the Human Genome Project uh, from the early days when they had finally sequenced the genome and they're like, what do we do with this now? Um, the Broad Institute is a fundamental science uh, research organization. But they did this tremendously valuable thing there where they brought in a lot of uh, professional managers, software developers, along with scientists, application engineers, and uh, even business folks. Um, so I was the uh, professional manager brought in to build this uh, platform. I call it the factory of science. Um, and we were building, we were doing two things, small molecule synthesis, we would make a new molecule that never existed in nature, but in high numbers and quantities, tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands eventually. Um, and we would do also what is called high throughput screening, which is a way of saying we're going to try out these molecules and see if anything sticks or inhibits or, uh, you know, activates a behavior that we want in biology. Um, and that's uh, an early stage of, uh, you know, test tube testing for uh, things that can possibly in the future become uh, therapeutics. Um, so really, uh, that was also just a tremendous and incredible uh, experience for me. Um, again, uh, as an immigrant coming over, learning all these things uh, that, that was just uh, just new to me. Uh, this is around the time when the iPhone came out and I decided to start a company around um, games and apps, casual games and casual apps. Uh, the company did all right uh, and got acquired and we started a company called North Bay. North Bay uh, was started on the premise that uh, at that time only a few percent of the total IT spend uh, was on the cloud. Uh, so, you know, 95% plus is not on the cloud. And these are the early days of cloud and we realized uh, that the writing is on the wall, that this is a generational transformation. Everything new that would be, would be built would be built on the cloud and the enterprise has to move uh, their current uh, workloads onto the cloud. So North Bay was founded on the premise that the enterprise will need a lot of help uh, in doing that. And uh, the company just uh, got bootstrapped, uh, grew tremendously, and is actually doing incredible work. Uh, uh, we aligned ourselves uh, with Amazon Web Services uh, and also just grew as Amazon Web Services or AWS grew. Um, and just also had a tremendous journey in uh, building and growing that company. 
So that's kind of up to the point of my journey where I uh, was working, uh, building companies, uh, and helping build companies. Um, around my time in North Bay, uh, I started connecting with the local startup ecosystem. It would start with Mass Challenge, for example, uh, Techstars, and other um, incubators and accelerators in the area that help foster innovation and help startups. I got engaged and involved initially as a mentor, advisor, a judge for these uh, pitches. And over time, I started thinking uh, maybe I should perhaps uh, invest in these companies. Uh, and about uh, six or seven years ago, I started actually writing small checks uh, into startups, uh, mostly from people that I knew and people that uh, I got connected with. And soon I actually got uh, introduced to the concept of angel groups. The first group that I joined uh, in the Boston area is called Sky Ventures Group. Uh, and Sky Ventures is specifically focused on life science, healthcare, medical devices. Um, a, a gentleman named Al Giffen runs that group, um, has been uh, doing a tremendous job. Um, and that's how I ultimately connected with Launchpad. Um, I have been Launchpad member for more than six years uh, and then um, started actually more seriously investing with the group. And there are certain you know, benefits and uh, uh, things that you get being uh, part of the group, mainly that uh, you share the work of finding companies, evaluating companies, investing in companies, and then even supporting the companies uh, as a group. Uh, and right at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, I was uh, enjoying this uh, so much uh, and really thought that this is uh, one of the best things uh, to ever happen uh, to me. I decided to uh, join the Launchpad Venture Group as part of the management team. Um, and uh, just before that, uh, my partner Alex Brown and I had uh, started a venture capital fund uh, that also invests in early stage companies. We did our fund one uh, about almost three years ago. And uh, that's what is Beacon Venture Partners. Uh, Beacon Venture Partners also invests in companies similar to what Launchpad invests in. In fact, it um, uh, does uh, tend to invest in Launchpad companies uh, a lot more. Um, and now we're raising our second fund and um, uh, trying to invest even more. So Arnav, uh, I know I went uh, pretty fast, uh, but I gave you like a quick synopsis yeah. of my journey from a kid in Lahore to uh, coming here and, and building companies and then investing in these companies. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you. Um, so, you know, obviously growing up in Pakistan, that's a unique vantage point. Um, that a lot of people don't have the perspective of, um, you know, I think the West characterizes that area um, in an interesting manner. I'm curious, like, as, um, you know, is there something that you would like to say about, about the country or growing up there, um, you know, that comes to mind? 
I think it wasn't anything different than if I was grew growing up in India, for example. But Pakistan additionally has this unique, uh, uh, you know, geopolitical uh, connotations associated with it, and has a history from, uh, you know, the the Soviet war in Afghanistan to 9/11, and what went after that uh, with the war on terror. Um, and when I came here, I never personally have uh, faced anything, you know, uh, negative, for example, I've been, you know, really fortunate to be among folks who understood understood those things. And in fact, were quite welcoming. Of course, I was uh, part of the, uh, uh, I think it was called the NCRS program. Uh, you can call it the Muslim registry, and I had to get fingerprinted. And uh, every time I went out of the country or into the country, and had a lot of uh, check-ins to be done, and so on. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, apart from those type of things, uh, I never really saw anything that would be negative to me personally. Um, in fact, on the other hand. Uh, uh, Boston has been tremendously welcoming, supportive, and I've I've had a great amount of uh, friendships built here, uh, businesses that I built here, investments that I, that I've made here. So, uh, I, I guess Pakistan is part of my heritage, and you know it's it's obviously that's where I grew up, uh, but U.S. is home now, and and that's where I'm building my life. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm curious, you know, at that time, you know, obviously you talked about Techlogics um, bringing you over as a, a technology, you know, consultant. Um, you know, prior to that, was there any mindset, you know, when you were in your early career as a software developer or program manager to come to the U.S. or was that not really on your mind? It turns out that uh, even starting from my first job out of college, I ended up working for companies that had customers in the US. Um, for example, the video conferencing company that I mentioned was working for uh, a video conferencing pioneering company here in the US uh, that I think came out of MIT Media Lab called PictureTel. Um, and even from my first job, uh, I was exposed to U.S. Um, you know work norms, um, U.S. culture, um, and and you know modern uh, technology and and uh, building tech products. Uh, the second company that I worked uh, with, for example, was a venture back company. So for the first time, even sitting in Lahore. I learned about, oh, what are stock options? Did not get that concept uh, initially. So um, I was just, it happened uh, luckily that I was exposed to uh, Western world and the US uh, throughout my career. Uh, in fact, for the longest time, I was kind of not uh, really thinking about moving to the US, uh, only when Techlogic thought, hey, maybe you should uh, consider coming over, I uh, thought about it and ultimately said yes. Um, uh, so, you know, part of it was my, my, a lot of my peers 
my batchmates had actually moved to the U.S. much earlier than me. And so I would also be in touch with them. So I, I kind of knew the U.S. side uh, in a decent manner. Yeah. I'm curious, is there any advice you would, you know, obviously, um, you know, today there's there's many people that come from Pakistan to the U.S. Um, as you look back at your transition, is there, you know, a piece of advice you would give to someone on, you know, obviously adjusting, you know, to the new culture um, in, in the U.S.? Yeah. When I landed here, there were actually a number of key uh, people in my life at that time after my landing that actually helped me uh, adjust here. Um, it turns out that uh, there was a roommate uh, uh, situation available for one of the um, folks from Techlogix and I became roommate with, uh, with, with that person. And they were actually uh, well connected and they were able to help me uh, you know, make more friends here, um, tell me how to, you know, buy a car. Um, uh, I did not know how to drive a car before coming to the U.S. Um, so I think my advice for anybody moving over is, you know, find the folks uh, that would be helping you. Uh, don't stay in your own bubble thinking, uh, I'm going to go back. Uh, which, of course, is fine. People also go back. Um, some people who migrate uh, here on an H1 are thinking that I'm coming here for the economic opportunity. I'm going to work here for a few years, you know, save up some money, and then I'm going to go back. And, of course, everybody has their uh, choices, and there are many good reasons for people to actually go back. Um, but but think of uh, think of uh, you know becoming part of the society, uh, and I think America is actually really good at that. Uh, I see that a little different in other countries, let's say Canada, uh, where you can still they, they'll call themselves as a salad bowl. Uh, you're together, but you're still a little uh, you know different or separate as well. Whereas I think America is actually really good at being a melting pot. Uh, you do get, uh, especially your kids that grow up here, to be American. Um, so I think just the general advice would be, you know, you, you've come to this country, uh, make make the best of best of it. Yeah, I think maybe the final question on on Pakistan. You know, for anyone looking to. Um, understand the country's history better or things like that. Do you, do you, I mean, I don't know if you do, but do you have any personal uh, recommendations on either movies, books, or, uh, you know, restaurants that are good around, you know, Massachusetts or anything like that? Yeah, I think one movie actually is, <laughs> that's a really good question. I think one movie that I will definitely recommend watching is called Charlie Wilson's War. Uh, and I think it really actually gives people a perspective of, you know, what Pakistan and that geopolitical situation vis-a-vis -vis the U.S. Uh, had been. Um, another movie, believe it or not, uh, uh, I would recommend watching is called Black Hawk Down. It's 
the movie is not about Pakistan. It is about the uh, the helicopter crash and how the team, uh, uh, you know, coped with that. The U.S. military. Um, but there's one part of uh, that movie where there are these UN peacekeepers that are brought. Um, <clears throat> turns out those were uh, peacekeepers from Pakistan, and they had way more casualties than the U.S. Uh, in that, but. The movie obviously is very uh, uh, perspective from from our U.S. perspective. So that part is just mentioned as one or two yelling uh, on the on the walkie-talkie for, for for something. So maybe those two movies. Um, I think it's it would be good for if people want to learn more to find uh, ways and resources. Um, and uh, but I think most most of the media that we generally have available is the public mainstream media, and that'll obviously tell you what it'll tell you about Pakistan. Um, and Pakistan still continues to be in a very um, a challenging geopolitical situation where they're in the midst of it and have to balance, you know, for example, the rising China on one end to now the U.S. Uh, becoming maybe, uh, I wouldn't say declining, but, you know, towards a declining power. Uh, and uh, the folks in Pakistan have to kind of play this three-dimensional chess on how to, how to, the, how to keep Pakistan's interests the most uh, from, from this. Yeah, yeah. So uh, now more to your business career, I, I guess, you know, is there any piece of advice um, that you would give to an early, you know, um, individual in their career, you know, 22, 23, you know, um, you went from software developing uh, to program manager to technology consultant, um, you know, any, you know, words of advice on, on as you look back on those um, experiences on maybe something that people should be looking for in terms of their job and what to get out of it or um, anything about those specific careers on consulting or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, uh, everybody has to look at the careers uh, themselves. Uh, one general theme that has been emerging in the last 20 years is that people tend to have multiple careers on in their lifetime now. It's not typical, but it's becoming more common uh, to have, you know, one career. For example, my career was a programmer and developer, all the way to um, managing teams and managing technical work. Um, to now, I have a career in investing uh, into startups. Those are relatively different thing. One prepared me for the other, uh, and so on. Uh, I think everybody figures out what's the career arc for them, uh, and he or she needs to think about what they want to be when they grow up. Um, obviously, there's two big choices also that especially younger folks now have, uh, which is work for somebody or build something on my own. Um, and I think uh, people have to think of that choice in their context 
and and see what they want to do. If you see a problem that needs to be solved and you think you can actually solve that problem and build a business around it, you know, definitely jump in. Uh, but if you also think that you're making a difference uh, in the company that you're working uh, and you're good at building things, uh, you can also continue working for others, even though, you know, it's sometimes uh, phrased as a, as a bad thing. Uh, both has uh, have plus and minuses. I mean, all other general advice are, you know, generic, like eat your vegetables and <laughs> be healthy and, you know, yeah. uh, be mindful and be uh, thinking about how you can help uh uh, yourself and everybody around you the best. So um, I, I, I guess that's the heaping of uh, general advice. Yeah. Uh, entrepreneurship, right? So, you know, I think you had been in this country for six years and then you started Kendall Square Labs. I'm I'm curious, you know, you, you've moved to a new country. You've only been here six years. I mean, how did you have the you know how did you get over that fear and you know what was your thought process in in trying out you know that venture yeah well believe it or not when you are on an h1 you technically can't really start a business or a startup uh or there are much harder ways to do that or not easy ways um and uh just that journey of from being from an h1 to becoming a green card holder, uh, to becoming a citizen, uh, actually takes quite a long time for most. Uh, for me, I think it took maybe 15 years uh, or more. And you couldn't really start companies until uh, you know that you can be in this country uh, permanently. Uh, so. I, uh, I see a lot of folks have that hesitation. In retrospect, I do think um, when I was on an H1, I didn't think I could start a company, and so I never thought about it. Uh, and turns out there are ways, and you can you can do certain things. And now uh, I think the even the government is a little more encouraging of that, and uh, people are advocating for the startup visa, for example, and and thing things like that. Yeah. But my advice would be like, if you think you want to start a company, you should think of ways of how you can you can do it, uh, even when you're on an H one. Uh, but I think that advice is independent. Like you shouldn't start a company just because everybody is, or that's the thing to do. Um, but for myself, thinking back, yeah, maybe I, I could have uh, done some things earlier, but I just didn't know or not was not as exposed to the world of startups and entrepreneurship um, and took me a while. Uh, once I learned a few things saying, oh yeah, you could start your own company as well. I'm just curious in terms of mindset, you know, of leaving a corporate environment to start your own venture. I'm sure, you know, maybe your parents had words of advice or friends or family on, you know, do you think this is the best idea? Um, how how did you find peace in that decision? Um, it wasn't, uh, 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 dis well, I was at my life stage where, let's say, you know, I would have some money and I didn't need an Im immediate salary. Uh, so it wasn't like as hard of a decision saying I'm quitting my job and I won't have any money. 
uh, how do I eat? Um, and at least most of the folks around me were not in the entrepreneurial circle, so I couldn't get really, you know, any much advice. So looking back, I would say, you know, try to find uh, folks in the startup world, investors, advisors, mentors, and run those questions by them saying, hey, I'm thinking of uh, quitting my job, should I or not? And uh, is this uh, an idea that uh, I should pursue? Now, of course, they can't tell you whether the idea is going to work or not. Uh, so they can't tell you or I, I don't know. I, I don't know how would they be able to say, do this idea. This is great and it will work. Um, all they can tell you is, hey, this is a risk, but you know, should you take that risk? Um, and the decision ultimately comes from within or from from you. Um, so the general advice would be try to talk with more people. And fortunately, in the last fifteen years. Um, fostering of startups innovation has become really popular and a lot of people are uh, very helpful uh, every uh, VC in town every angel in town uh, all the wonderful incubators accelerators there is a whole village that's there uh, to help you raise your kid yeah you know uh, you talked about it but you uh, eventually sold that first company um, I'm curious, you know, as you look back, is there any advice that you have on on selling a company? Well, I mean, uh, selling the company can mean two things. If you've raised money, then it means slightly something else versus if you haven't raised money. Uh, if you haven't raised money, then you're the only decision maker. Uh, Generally, you're looking for, you know, I'm, am I good, getting a good value? Do I think I can build even more? Or is this the right time to hand off the baton, let somebody else uh, build it from there? Um, but if you've raised money, then you have your board and your shareholders that ultimately make the decision when and if to sell the company. Uh, so uh, that becomes part of the calculus. So, you know, you are taking outside money if you fundraise that knowing that only when it exits is when the investor makes money so you're you're already agreeing that at some point you will uh sell or maybe in, in great cases ipo the company uh so investors can get their money back um great companies are bought not sold is one saying that goes uh in these circles um, so I, I think it's, again, the general set of advice is you're, you're looking to build a company that you ultimately want to, uh, monetize and sell. And you're, you're trying as a CEO or founder, uh, to best increase the value of that company. So you could bring it to a stage where you think now somebody else can actually scale it much better than you can. And it's time to monetize. Yeah. So, um, you know, you sold it to North Bay Solutions and, and become a co-founder and CTO there. Um, you know, I'm curious, as you look at that journey um, of, you know, having other co-founders and partners, um, is there a piece of advice as you're going into 
a venture with say two other people or or something like that that um you would give to to someone thinking about you know yeah starting a company yeah absolutely i mean uh uh selection of co-founders and who you work with is a uh, a really important thing uh you you are going to go through a journey that's tough uh for a pretty long time uh so it actually helps if you have maybe worked together before you share philosophy on things and at the same time you're able to kind of divide saying here are the things that I'm better at and I'll take this area and here are th- other things that you should take uh my partner um co-founder uh conflict uh believe it or not is actually a pretty up there in the top five reason for companies to fall out uh or fail uh but having great co-founders also is like one of the biggest thing you can have uh in your life in building companies uh because these are the set of people that are that are you know 1+1 is equal to more than more than that and you really uh build things as a team as a team um and i think every anybody who's going on that journey needs to uh kind of you know try before you buy date uh do some work together before like straight jumping into it could work out very well uh in some ways being a co-founder is harder than getting divorced cuz you're still not out of the business mm-hmm. um uh, uh you know co-founder conflict can be hugely disruptive and very detrimental to the economics uh of the company and um you know that's one reason why investors kind of in, insist on founder vesting when they invest the money uh you don't want your uh you know college roommate who you thought was a great co-founder uh take one quarter of the company and then just quit and say hey i'm going to sit on the beach and not work um and and just own the company 25% um so i i think it's a you've you've highlighted a great uh point that uh finding and figuring out the right co-founder is such an important step in uh starting and building a company. Yeah. Uh in, in terms of the thesis of, you know, you talked about it a little bit, but at that time I guess, you know, only 5% of storage was, you know, on the cloud. Um I'm I'm curious especially now today, you know, where some people think NFTs have a, a future and and some don't, you know, at that time when it's only 5%, you know, like how did you feel confident in that being the thesis for yeah. the company and for things to change and grow to where they are today? That's a very good question. Um I'll I'll take a simple example of before the advent of the cloud. As a programmer, as a developer, if I needed to productionize something and say we're launching this product, I may even have up to 6 months of lead time to order physical servers. These are large computers with uh you know more memory and compute um that I need in order to satisfy my production requirements. But I would literally have to order those uh when they come in, I have to install them in the rack, I have to uh wire them up, I have to install basic software on them. 
Uh, I have to configure my software and my product on it. Um, it was really a painful process. And as a programmer, I learned that on the cloud, you can do it uh, within a minute. You can spin up a, a compute instance with pre-installed software, pre-configured, uh, like super quick. And you're only paying for when you use it. Uh, that was a fundamental shift. Uh, so as a, as a consumer of those things, you really realize, wow, this is different. And you understand that there's no reason for anybody to now order servers. I'm just using the example of servers. Same applies to storage, same applies to all the other things that the cloud offers. Um, uh, and maybe the data point that uh, we got was we attended one of the first uh, uh, Amazon's uh, AWS's largest conference called AWS reInvent. And you could see the incredible energy uh, and excitement on the notion of the cloud uh, at that time. And this is literally now uh, almost 10 years ago. Um, and it's just very clear that if I was to build anything new, there's no reason for me not to do it on the cloud. It's faster, cheaper, all of those good things. And it's 10 times uh, better, order of magnitude better. So uh, some things and trends you can just clearly see. Uh, and it, it's not just us that saw that, like everybody could see. And hence an entire industry and in the entire ecosystem emerged around the cloud. Yeah. Um, you know, another part, you know, for a company like North Bay that scaled um, quite a bit during your time there uh, is managing employees. I'm, I'm curious, you know, how did you, um, you know, hire, how did you foster good company culture such that, you know, employees stayed, um, things like that? How, how did you manage that HR aspect? Yeah, I mean, every single company uh, that is built is built on people. Um, and these are really bright, um, a lot of the time young um, folks who, who have maybe technical education, uh, computer science degree, and now want to work in the industry. At North Bay, uh, we did a few things uh, in addition to what Everybody that wants to do good HR, hire good employees. Uh, uh, number one, we, we, we really fostered the concepts around agile development of software. And that's actually not only helpful in building uh, good software, it's actually also helping, uh, very helpful in building good teams. Uh, we, we had a concept of a one team model where even our customer teams uh, onshore and our uh, engineering teams offshore would combine themselves as a single team across continents. And the famous uh, stand-up meeting that is uh, common in Agile and Scrum uh, development would happen with the entire team. Um, and that, that really just fosters a, a way of like, hey, we're working directly on the problem uh, and understand and hence can relate to the mission. Uh, helps a lot with the, with the team building. Um, one other um, thing that we did, we called it North Bay University. 
we would have particular hands-on curriculum on almost every technology uh, managed service tool that AWS would come up that we were using. Um, and also on, you know, core concept of industrial strength, software writing, uh, and everybody would go through curriculum of that uh, when needed. It was always paired with a, a senior member of the team and uh, they are helping you do a hands-on assignment on how to learn AWS Kinesis uh, to the extent that you can use it for real production, real world um, uh, applications. Um, I think also all people uh, work on uh, the mission, really. So I think it's always connecting uh, team members and employees to the mission. Um, hey, even though this is a, a, just a game, but it's being built because it's a fun game. Uh, or uh, this uh, transformation from the uh, IBM AS400 that you're doing all onto Redshift is really enabling the world's largest um, uh, book publisher of children uh, to be more effective in their business. Uh, and what what uh, somebody sitting in Lahore or sitting in the U.S. with North Bay was doing, they they were tied to the the actual mission uh, every day, and that helps keep a, a culture. Um, uh, on the topic of culture, you know, uh, transparency, learning from mistakes, uh, and pride in your work were a few, you know, key things that we uh, fostered as cultural uh, norms. Uh, as they say, culture is what you do. Uh, and so it was always, you know, sticking back to those and always constantly fostering that culture. For example, turning the camera on in a video call, uh, and uh, believe it or not, we were we've been Zoom users for almost uh, six years now. So this is way before the pandemic, before yeah. Zoom was you know popular. Yeah. Um, and, and many of those things, and then just generally, you know, knowing uh, what people want in their career, uh, uh, providing them career ladders, uh, is are all helpful ways of uh, building a great team and a great company. You know, uh, balance, right? That's one of the tough parts of life, especially when you are an entrepreneur um, and you want to, you know, you're a motivated individual and you see, you know, your hard work pay off. I'm curious, you know, for you, how did you manage, you know, working hard, but also, you know, maybe giving time to your personal life and uh, family? Yeah, um, uh, in some parts of that, it was hard and challenging. Um, like when I worked in Lahore for the venture back company, there will be like really long hours. In fact, I think the reason I actually left uh, was that I kind of got burnt out. Uh, I was younger and, you know, didn't have kids at that time. So that was fine. Um, Later in my career, I have always uh, worked hard, but I've always tried to maintain that balance. Um, and now I think in this stage of my career, uh, still, you know, believe it or not, even investing in good companies is a lot of uh, 
uh, work, uh, helping founders, supporting companies. Um, and uh, one lucky thing that has happened is with the advent of technology, a lot of it can be done uh, remotely, like just like now we're doing a podcast recording uh, where we're not in the same room. Uh, the flip side of that is that that allows you for some flexibility um, of, you know, me picking up my daughter from school um, and so on. So I, I think you've, you've highlighted a great point that uh, we all need to uh, look at balance on things. Um, but at times when you're building things, you have to kind of uh, move the slider to a little bit on one side or the other. Of course, you don't want to go to the extreme at all. Uh, but to the extent possible, you 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 adjust based on the stage that you're in. Yeah, I'm curious. So one of the questions, I don't know if you have an opinion on this, but one of the questions I, I get a lot from entrepreneurs is, you know, in terms of finding a partner um, who understands the lifestyle you're living and I'm curious, you know, um, if you had any uh, advice on, on that personal side of, you know, finding the person to marry and then, you know, also managing, um, becoming a father and, and kids, things like that. I mean, of course, that partnership is very important for any entrepreneur. Um, and I think, you know, it will be a process for you or anyone to find uh, their partner. Um, I couldn't comment on, you know, how, how to do that. I've <laughs> not been in that uh, game for a while. Um, but I think, of course, it helps to talk what your ambitions are. And I think in some ways it also depends on finding that situation. Um, if one partner is working on a more stable income and another partner is working on a more, you know, variable income, uh, it might work out. And I've actually personally observed um, that happening very well or working very well and actually flipping it, the roles where uh, the other partner has now become a founder uh, and the previous founding uh, exited partner now is doing the stable things. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think it's, it's really important to, as, as you or young folks, you know, work on finding their partners to have these things be in mind and um, you know that's what marriage is all about it's finding finding and building a partnership yeah I, I don't know if you want to talk about this I mean I cut it out but um, you know I saw you lot, um, left in 2019 was that mainly because um, angel investing had become more of your life I saw you were you know a member of Launchpad since 2017 yeah, I think it did become uh, much more pronounced, and then I decided to do do all of this full time. Um, uh, my partners are running North Bay, and it's still a, a tremendous uh, and a successful company. Um, for me, it became like, what else do I want to do? And in the meanwhile, uh, angel investing and then uh, investing more had emerged so much that I I I, I just decided to do it full time. Yeah. Um, I, I guess, you know, a, a lot of individuals, you know, have the desire to become an angel investor, right? 
Uh, I'm curious, you know, I'm sure a lot of younger folk um, message you on LinkedIn on, you know, trying to, you know, learn what you have to say about that. Um, I'm curious how you how you look at that. And, um, you know, yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I I think, look, um, in the big picture sense, Venture capital, and hence by implication, angel capital, um, or you know, uh, generally venture capital, meaning money for crazy ideas, uh, has been one of the most important things the world has done uh, in making things a lot better for humans. And I, I see that continuing, you know, tremendously. There's whim- there's still a lot of problems to be solved. Um, so I think by implication, then young people should definitely think of becoming involved. And that could be while you're young building companies. Um, but then later, or as you get uh, some money, investing in these companies. And that's what angel investing can be about. Now, uh, to be uh, clear, you can actually angel invest with very small amounts even if you're not an accredited investor yet. Uh, and the new uh, crowdfunding regulations allow people to invest as little as $100 into a startup. Uh, so for really young folks who want to get into it, uh, maybe don't have a, a you know, quarter of a million dollar to start investing in angel uh, investing, then maybe and you want to allocate five, ten thousand dollars to investing in companies, you could get started by angel investing via the crowdfunding, uh, equity crowdfunding uh, method. Now, then later, you, there's a, there are other ways of getting involved in venture as well, which is working at a venture uh, capital firm. So now you you're not investing your money, but you're working and helping find companies invest in, uh, you know, evaluate those companies and then invest in those companies. Um, and for that also, the general advice would be, you know, be curious about uh, the space, uh, connect with startups, learn about some area and expertise. Uh, again, maybe invest a few hundred dollars uh, to try and learn. And then, you know, seek opportunities uh, for being an associate or uh, uh, somebody who who works at uh, venture investment uh, field. Uh, now, when you do have some money, uh, you you've exited your company, even though you're young. I, I think uh, people ought to definitely look at this asset class as one of the areas that they should be investing in, uh, among other areas like I don't know real estate or uh, public ac- equities. And maybe people even recommend maybe between five to ten percent of your investable assets to go into this asset class. And then you have uh, kind of two options. One, um, you could be hands-on and do angel investing yourself, either as an individual or join angel groups and do it as a group. Uh, or you could give capital to funds that invest into uh, companies. And that's also, uh, giving you the same result, uh, but that's in the case you've either you are not interested or are not uh, 
able to in terms of time, etc., to do the work in investing. Um, but I think young folks have, have great options and a spectrum of these options for uh, getting involved. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so I saw 2019, you raised your first fund for Beacon Venture Partners. Um, is there any advice that you would give to someone trying to do something similar on, you know, raising a fund? Um, I'm sure that a lot of that was, you know, previous networking and previous connections that you had and, and things like that. Uh, well, raising a fund is also uh, similar to raising money for your startup in the sense that it requires fundraising. Um, these funds also, believe it or not, go to investors up the stream and say, could you give us money so we can invest as investors into these early stage companies? So uh, in fact, it turns out that raising a fund in some ways is actually harder than raising money for a startup um, because you're asking for a lot more money and the money is uh, stuck for a pretty long time. These funds have a life of 10 years or more. Um, so advice for raising a fund would be, um, you know, first decide if that's really what you want to do. Don't do it for, hey, just because it's sexy and cool to raise funds or to be in VC. It's actually an incredibly um, hard work on many ends, although it's very rewarding both intellectually and if you, do, if you did it right monetarily as well. Um, but it's not at the least an easy job. So first decide you know, why you want to do it and uh, really uh, that you want to do it. Uh, if you decide that you want to do it, uh, then there are a bunch of resources uh, available to you to learn. Uh, uh, increasingly, the world of venture capital has uh, been becoming transparent, and that has also happened on the limited partner side or the LP side. Um, there are similar incubators and accelerators that can help uh, you with the journey. Um, one that I'll mention is run by Founders Institute called VC Lab. Um, and, uh, you know, you can also, uh, you basically learn and then ultimately you actually have to do a good amount of work to, to go and uh, find investors for your fund. Yeah. How did you uh, develop that thesis uh, for Beacon Venture Partners? And, um, you know, I, I guess... You know, why, why do you think people entrusted you with their money? Um, do you, you think it, they trusted your intellectual ability or uh, especially just, you know, being this your first time doing yeah. your own fund? I think the thesis, uh, first of all, uh, is not thematic, meaning Beacon Venture Partners is not a fund that will only invest in AI companies. Um, the, the thesis of the fund is based on um, kind of two or three things. One is geography, and the geography is where we know what, what's going on in the innovation circle. So that's Boston, New England, New York, New Jersey, uh, basically Northeast, where we have some uh, good, way, good ways of uh, what is called deal flow. We, we can see a lot of companies uh, that, uh, that are in this ecosystem. 
Um, so first, first thesis was around geography. And again, the reason was uh, me and Alex Brown are from this area and we've been connected to the innovation ecosystem for a decade or more. Um, and we, we have a pulse on the deal flow. The second part of the thesis uh, has been around uh, this notion of capital efficient companies. Um, we at Venture in general invest in only high growth stories. But there's, uh, there's even difference between a high growth story that requires uh, maybe 10, 15 million dollars to be raised in the lifetime of the company before an, exi ex before an exit uh, or a company that needs to raise hundreds of millions of dollars already by definition of the kind of company that it is to get to the exit, uh, we are going to look for the first kind, which is the capital efficient companies. And the reason for that is that angels and small funds are able to support that um, company with follow-on investing all the way through exits. And um, lastly, the thesis is based on kind of a roughly sector agnostic, but uh, some focus on um, software and tech in general, a little bit of hardware, uh, life science, medical device, uh, but predominantly a bulk in the middle of uh, B2B software um, as, as, our, as our focus, because we have expertise, skills, and talent in that area that we can, we can help with. Um, folks who gave us money uh, interested us because of our um, previous uh, reputation with, in terms of investments and in terms of being able to run a process uh, for reliably and effectively finding these companies. Um, Beacon Venture Partner also relies uh, on deal for, from the Launchpad Venture Group, Angel Group, um, and the 180 members are working to bring uh, good companies, find them, evaluate them, and invest in them, and more important, uh, support them with the human capital. Um, and Beacon Venture Partner has that as its, you know, most effective uh, uh, process. Yeah. I'm curious. I, I mean, I guess I feel like I'm <laughs> asking you to give me all your knowledge, but, um, you know, as you look at your career as an angel investor, you know, is there any advice you have on investing, I mean, looking at maybe your best investment and your worst investment? So uh, I think those are all just, uh, you know, after the fact comments, you know, oh, this turned out to be my best investment. Oh, this turned out to be my worst investment. Um, the first clarification in that is that there's no worst investment. The most you can lose is the money you invested. Uh, so all investments that return less than a dollar on investing invested capital are kind of your bad investments. You could argue in some ways, like if you had a particularly painful experience losing your money, then you could say, oh, that was my worst investment. Uh, but generally speaking, this is an asymmetric world where your downside is fixed and known, but your upside is kind of unknown and not fixed. I actually, can actually go pretty high, not infinity, but like uh, there, there, there's very little bound on that. Uh, so, you know, uh, you will, there's also a saying that goes in investment circles. Um, 
hey, am I a good investor? Uh, am I a good investor? Ask me in 10 years. <laughs> because these companies, uh, especially the best one, meaning the one that will give you the highest multiple return of 20x, 100x uh, or more, actually take a pretty long time to mature. Um, within the group that Launchpad members have invested, there are many companies that have done tremendously well and have produced um, exceptional returns for, for investors. Um, uh, you know, companies that are valued um, in billions of dollars. Um, and then there are companies that uh, only sold for a couple of hundred million dollars. Doesn't sound a lot uh, given the headlines, uh, but investors actually made uh, really good money. Uh, because uh, they were able to get into the company early enough and and at a at a decent valuation. So uh, I don't want to uh, uh, put any names to worst or best investments, yeah, but generally yeah. this is the kind of uh, um, dynamics that uh, venture investing happens. It's a very power laws driven returns. 90% of your returns are going to come from 10% of the companies that you invested. Yeah. Um, I'm curious on the other side, you know, I'm sure you, you hear a good amount of pitches. Is there any advice you would give to, to someone pitching, you know, whether it's Launchpad or, or Be Beacon Venture on, you know, just, uh, I guess, how to make yeah. it an appealing pitch? Well, the appealing pitch part is, you know, there's tremendous amount of uh, advice available saying, you know, talk about the problem solution, why you, why now, how big is the market, all those good things. But I think the general advice that I'll give is that founders pitching for money should know and understand this notion that all investing is a matchmaking process. It's an inefficient process but effectively you're trying to find the best investors for you. It turns out very commonly that something that's a great investment investment for one fund or one in angel investor is a terrible not fit investment for another fund or another angel. Um, so really the advice on pitching uh, you know, is on the foundation of figuring out am I talking with the right people, uh, meaning people for whom this would be a good investment. Do they even invest in what I uh, do? Are they investing in the stage where I'm at today? Um, it, it happens a lot where you didn't do that homework. And obviously, no matter how good your pitch is, you're going to get a no. Um, they simply just don't do medical device investing and you're pitching them a medical device company. Um, it's an imperfect process, but I think that would be my basic advice to try to find what you're looking for and find investors that are good for you. Yeah. Um, is there anything else? I'm going to go to your podcast, but is there anything else on the angel investing um, that you wish more people asked you about? Um, or is there anything that's on your mind that you want to talk about? I think we've covered it well. Okay, cool. Um, and then, so 2020, you started the Onboards podcast. Um, do you want to talk about, you know, what uh, people can gain from uh, tuning in there? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Onboard podcast uh, was started by myself and uh, my co-host, Joe Ayoub. Joe Ayoub and I connected um, before 2020, and we would always talk about the topic of boards and governance. Uh, Joe himself um, uh, is uh, somebody who helps put together boards uh, for companies and has been doing it uh, for a little bit. And uh, we both thought that the topic is kind of opaque. And uh, it's like there's some mysterious world behind a boardroom where something happens. Um, And these were the early days before the pandemic. And we thought, hey, a 30-minute podcast uh, where a guest is from um, the board ecosystem, whether they be the CEO, board members, uh, board chairs, other folks in in the board uh, world, uh, wouldn't it be great to talk and people can listen, you know, when they don't have a meeting or when they're driving or on their walk or something like that. We started right before the pandemic. So we did used to record in a podcast studio. <laughs> Um, before, you know, getting it into onto Zoom. Uh, but we have had uh, a great number of uh, tremendously talented, experienced uh, guests. Um, and uh, we've, we cover a really wide range of topics, even within the governance and uh, board world, um, from recruitment to ESG, to role of a corporate council on boards, to um, all the way to advocacy of um, uh, LGBTQ uh, to be on more boards um, and everything in between. So we, we, it's, it's a super um, great way of learning in, in a short amount of time on, on board and governance topics. If, uh, if folks are interested to tune in, it's onboardspodcast.com. Yeah. Uh, two more questions I have uh, before we wrap up. Um, the first is, you know, and you take this on a personal or professional lens. I'm curious, like, what has been your motivation and what has kind of been your purpose throughout your journey? Wow, that's a really good question. I think in some ways you're always searching for that purpose um, and it changes uh, you know believe it or not when I was a kid the purpose at that time was just really to get educated and be somebody um, and you know I think maybe in recent time it's it's really about uh, family and uh, people around you and making things better for yourself and for people around you is kind of the easiest way to say it. Um, I think now I find myself in a mission where I'm so privileged uh, and humbled uh, to be able to help uh, startups that you know really make an impact. So in some ways, you really feel uh, a lot of weight on your shoulders to um, you know help build the innovation ecosystem, help foster that, and you know make it better for everybody. Yeah. Um, the second one, I, I, you know, and again, you don't need to answer this if you don't want to. Um, I'm curious, you know, as you look back at your life, obviously people are going in to tune in, um, you know, because of, you know, you've had an accomplished career. 
I'm curious, do you have any uh, regrets, whether it's uh, personal or professional, on on any aspect of what's gone on or something you would pass on as a learning lesson? Well, I mean, there are, of course, many lessons. I don't think regret is a word that I'll use, but I think generally I, I'm, I'm kind of subscriber to the philosophy that um, you make decisions on a regret minimization framework. Uh, you know, might as well do this so that uh, when I'm, you know, old, I don't regret not doing it. Uh, so I don't have any particular regret. Um, I think that's a, that's actually a good way of thinking about the future and deciding, saying, hey, I have the choice of either starting this company or not starting this company. Um, maybe I think of it as, would I regret if I'm old? Hey, geez, I should have started that company. And maybe in that case, you use the regret minimization uh, theory to say, I should start a company. Awesome. Well, Raza, we, we covered quite a lot, you know, from your beginnings uh, in Pakistan to um, where you are today. I'm curious if there's anything else that, uh, you know, you want to share uh, in terms of life or anything like that. Uh, feel free to do so. I'll, or now I'm I'm uh, very grateful uh, for you having me on your podcast. I'll uh, just plug in saying you know if you are looking for funding, uh, uh, look up Launchpad Venture Group and uh, hit the apply for funding button. And we're we're always happy to look at companies in the Boston New England geography that are early stage, uh, are tech enabled, uh, and uh, um, you know uh, connect you to angels and 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 funding. Yeah. Well, Raza, I want to just thank you for coming on. I really appreciate, um, you know, you sharing your your journey and then all of your learnings as an entrepreneur and as an angel investor. Thank you, Arnav, for having me.